Star Wars 7 by 7 bonus episode. Well, there you have it. Dave Filoni and company have channeled their inner Lord of the Rings and mixed and mashed it with Return of the Jedi and that special magic that only Star Wars Rebels can bring to create an unforgettable season finale. Punch it, Chewie. Hi, this is Alvin Johnson with the 501st Legion, and you're listening to Star Wars 7x7, the only daily Star Wars podcast. Hey, Rebel Rouser. Welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host, Alan Voivod. And yeah, what can you say about a situation where a creator gets to go out on his own terms? Yes, this was created by Carrie Beck and Simon Kinberg and Dave Filoni, but Dave Filoni has always been the very public face of this story. And he's the gentleman who's been saying that as this fourth season has been rolling out, that he is the one who has wanted to end it on his own terms, that he was very sad that he never got to finish the Clone Wars the way he wanted to, but he was getting to do what he wanted to do with Star Wars Rebels. Now, the outside influences on Star Wars Rebels have been widely documented, but Tolkien certainly has to be at the forefront, Dave Tolkien. Dave Tolkien. (laughs) Listen to me. Dave Filoni himself is a big Tolkien fan. And the influences on these final episodes is very strong. It starts right from the get-go with the title of the first part of this finale, A Fool's Hope, which is a reference to Frodo and Sam's chances of delivering the One Ring to Mount Doom and burning it in the fires there. This is how Pippin hears it described by Gandalf that they only had a fool's hope of getting it done, Frodo and Sam did. And that conversation happens while they're in Minas Tirith, which is basically one of the last strongholds for the forces of good, and it is about to be assailed by all the bad guys, which is pretty much exactly what happens in A Fool's Hope. The rebel stronghold is assailed by the forces of the Empire. And in a similar fashion, they're going to be overrun until the Riders of Rohan show up to help save the day. And in this case, the Riders of Rohan appear in the form of the Ghost Crew and also the Lothwolves taking over and getting business done. And from there, when we get into Family Reunion and Farewell, we have a lot of elements that are similar in a way to elements of Return of the Jedi, except they are reversed or otherwise turned on their heads. For example, one of the main goals of the effort by the Rebels in Return of the Jedi is to destroy a shield generator and bring down a shield. But here in Family Reunion and Farewell, one of their main goals is to get a shield shield up and running. And in both cases, they are going to have to deal with a legion of forces, of Imperial forces. But when it came to Return of the Jedi, they had no idea that there were going to be a legion of Imperial forces waiting for them in a trap. Whereas in Rebels, it was rather the opposite. They created the situation by initiating Protocol 13 and recalling every single trooper and officer into the Imperial base so that way they could ultimately be killed. And whereas we had the Emperor ordering the destruction of the Rebel fleet, we had Thrawn ordering the destruction of the capital city of Lethal and all of its innocent inhabitants. So a similar inversion there. And when it came to the shield situation, there had to be a protracted battle over getting the shield up or getting the shield down, depending on which thing you were watching, Return of the Jedi or Star Wars Rebels. 
And ultimately, it's the affinity and the alliance that the good guys have with the forces of nature that allow the good guys to win out over the bad guys. And I suppose you could consider the Pergil, the space whales, as a species akin to, say, maybe the great eagles in The Lord of the Rings. And you could also even define Ezra sneaking away from everybody else in terms of Frodo attempting to sneak away from the Fellowship and the Fellowship of the Ring if we're dialing back to include not just the Return of the King but actually the entire Lord of the Rings. But that's not to say that it didn't have its own unique rebel style. For example, the writer Azadi Double Cross, and I guess I should tell you in case you haven't figured this out already, that this is a spoiler-filled podcast, so, <laughs> you know, just be prepared for it. But Rebels pulls these double switches on us from time to time, and they sold this one really hard. I mean, when Ryder doesn't shoot at Rook when he has a chance to just peg him right there, I mean, that's the moment that you think, oh my gosh, Ryder really is in the bag and it isn't happening this time. The Rebels are really going to get their butts handed to them. And wow, that was a really gutsy maneuver, as I mentioned in the podcast that was dedicated just to the episode of Fool's Hope. And it also features a typical screwball against all odds Rebels plan that starts off with a distraction tactic involving a dwarf toss. Yes, indeed. I mean, if you think of Ugnaughts as being played by dwarves as they were in The Empire Strikes Back, then this is in fact a dwarf toss that Zeb does to throw Melch up onto one of the viewport windows to distract the Imperials in the command center. And yes, there was a dwarf toss in Lord of the Rings, too, if you remember Aragorn tosses Gimli at Helm's Deep. And that's a sign right there of just how neatly blended elements of rebels that are unique are fashioned and enhanced by elements of other stories. And ultimately, that's what George Lucas was really doing, wasn't he? He was taking myths from all over creation and weaving them into one particular story in a similar fashion to Joseph Campbell's monomyth idea that there is one sort of overarching myth that is told in a number of different ways. And Filoni and company have basically been doing the same thing and probably hit their zenith in the way that they mixed and matched pieces and blended them into a wonderful tapestry in this finale. And as for Thrawn in this one, I feel like he finally makes the move that I've been wanting him to make. In other words, he's always been portrayed as this hyper-intelligent strategist, and finally he seems to have gotten the rebels into a situation where they cannot get out of it, and in fact, everything the rebels did, what they thought was to their own advantage, turns out to be utterly to their disadvantage. And once again, we find that basically the only way to defeat Thrawn is to come up with something that he has never seen before, which basically makes him like the Borg for all intents and purposes, that just some random unusual thing is going to happen and that's going to mess him up. It was the Bendu at the end of season three, and this time it was the Pergil at the end of season four. Just things that he has no way to anticipate whatsoever. So this is, I think, a fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me situation. I mean, Thrawn really should now be expecting something really bizarre to happen anytime he's having to deal with Jedi. Also, I think we've solved the question from A World Between Worlds about how Palpatine was able to access the world between worlds, what his gateway situation was. And it turns out 
that there are pieces of the Jedi Temple from Lothal that were transported by Admiral Thrawn to Coruscant. And now they have been assembled, I guess, in a certain fashion on Thrawn's starship. So that way Palpatine can get access to some sort of version of the gateway. Maybe it's a limited version of the gateway, which kind of makes sense if he's only taking pieces of the temple, then he would only be able to get a little limited detail from that gateway situation. But Thrawn must have brought the pieces to him and Palpatine must have been able to assemble it on Thrawn's ship in such a way as to make this gateway work. And how fascinating is it that he projected himself as his old cheery Chancellor Palpatine self before things went bad with Ezra and then he let the hologram switch back to his real present day form. I think that's a really neat trick and a great decision by the Rebels team to portray him in that very slick fashion. But Ezra seems to have come to a beautiful conclusion in terms of his story arc, in terms of his learning the ways of the Jedi, in terms of him listening to the teachings of Kanan Jarrus over the past four years in deciding to let his parents go and deciding to see the mission through with Thrawn and make sure that Thrawn is defeated wherever it is that the Pergil are going to take them next. And I guess I have to be honest, the Pergil, their arrival was a bit of a deus ex machina for me. For those of you not familiar with the term, it's basically Latin for something called the God Machine. And it refers to a thing in old time plays like, you know, thousands of years ago where a machine that was essentially bringing God into the play for, (laughs) you know, the purposes of like dangling God over all the actors and whatnot, like a literal physical machine machine was brought in where a god or god would ultimately wipe the slate clean of all the problems that had been developed in the play and so everything was going to be happy ever after but it's not entirely a god machine thing i mean there is a previous history with the pergil in an episode from season two called the call where ezra developed a very close affinity with that force of nature as well with these space whales slash squid slash stingrays if you will and so it's not totally out of the complete clear blue sky the means of being able to communicate with them that they're supposed to go up into high orbit and put out a message on frequency zero or whatever it was and that that actually meant something to visago and mart matten and um, wolf you know that in itself was a little bit odd because i don't think there was necessarily any mention of a frequency in the call but i'll have to go back and watch the episode just to verify it but even in its way the fact that this was something that appeared in a previous episode and Ezra had established a connection with these creatures and we've seen over the course of Rebels Ezra continuing to make connections with creatures whether it's Lothwolves or Lothcats or you know other creatures that they've come across in the span of the four years of the TV series there is a legitimacy to it that holds up and Nobody else dies, at least nobody in the ghost crew. We're assuming that Ezra is still alive and even more so because of what happens in the epilogue for the episode, which I'll talk about after the break. But we only have three deaths that we know about. We're assuming that Grand Admiral Thrawn is still alive as well. He didn't seem to be having the life squeezed out of him. He just seemed to be being held captive. But Governor Price 
has kicked the bucket, and unfortunately, we lost Gregor, and we thought we were going to lose Melch, but he apparently survived the plaster shot he took. So, uh, you know, it could have been a lot worse. And let's also not forget Rook, the bodyguard and assassin for Grand Admiral Thrawn. He fought Kanan, and he fought Ezra, and both of them force threw him off a ledge or some high place and he managed to survive but it took brawn this time to get him with zeb attacking him and twisting his foot inside a metal wire when the shield generator went on he just got fried as a result so there you go it took brawn rather than force power to be able to deal with that bad mamma jamma all right Let's take a quick break here and then let's talk about that epilogue because there's some major stuff in there too. Stay tuned. Hey Rebel Rouser, no sponsor on this episode today, so I just have a favor to ask instead. If you haven't done so already, please consider leaving a review for Star Wars 7x7 on your favorite podcast app. Not just a star rating, although I will say we are personally very proud of our near-unanimous five-star rating on iTunes. No, I just mean a thoughtful sentence or two about what you like about the podcast, or how happy you are that it's part of your daily routine. And more reviews means better visibility, which means more people get to share in a daily dose of Star Wars joy, and you want that, don't you? Of course you do, so please leave a review on your favorite podcast app today. I thank you, and the Star Wars 7x7 podcast thanks you. Welcome back. All right, so everybody in the Ghost Crew survives. And so there you go. There's the answer to that question, too. And the epilogue for Zeb, along with Agent Callus, is a rather beautiful one, if not necessarily one that tells us or hints at a huge continuing story for Star Wars, but the fact that they went and found the new Lasat homeworld and showed Agent Callus that no, he hadn't killed everybody, and considering that Callus has had his turn of heart, his change of heart, that was a rather lovely situation to present to us. So that was very cool. The fact that Hera has a love child, Jason Sindula, we don't know the spelling of Jason just yet. It could be J-A-C-E-N. That would be a very neat touch considering that that's how Jason Solo's name was spelled in the expanded universe, one of the twins of Han and Leia way back then. So love child, (laughs) there you go. And he apparently was born not too long after the finale of Rebels because, you know, he was a couple of years old and toddlerish by the time we get to the epilogue, which takes place after the events of Return of the Jedi. So he's got to be, oh gosh, because Hera wasn't showing her anything like that. Not that, you know, anybody from Ryloth is going to display pregnancies the same way that humans do, but if you want to just use that as a thumbnail situation, then he's got to be three years old at the least. Okay. And not more than that because, or actually not much more than that, I should say, because we still don't know how long it is in between the end of rebels and the beginning of Rogue one. So call it three or four years old, basically as we see him and the Big, big, big reveal of all has to do with Sabine. We find her in the same place that we found Ezra at the very beginning of Star Wars Rebels, the actual whole series, and what a beautiful callback that is. And as she's looking out 
at the Lothal capital city. It looks like it has advanced tremendously in the few years since the empire has been gone and since the rebels have been defending it. So that was also a very neat thing to see. But I mean, come on, how do you top the series except by having Ahsoka show up and really, truly channeling Gandalf the White in her appearance? There is no way that Dave Filoni had anything else on his mind but equating her with that. And it makes sense, too, with her journey through the underworld, which you could equate to Gandalf falling down in the deep chasm under the mines of Moria with the Balrog and having that horrible fight and whatnot, and eventually coming out back to the real world and becoming Gandalf the White. So Ahsoka has essentially become Ahsoka the White in a way and found herself a way out through a portal and back to the real world and back to Lothal eventually. So Sabine and Ahsoka are going to go hunt down Ezra and apparently... Let's just say that the reason why we think Ezra is alive is because Ahsoka would have been able to sense in the Force his passing. And the fact that she's shown up and said, hey, Sabine, it's time for us to go find Ezra. Well, that suggests that they know he must still be alive wherever he is. And it's only been a precious few hours since the finale aired on TV, but people are already clamoring for a Sabine Ahsoka TV series. Like, this is the next thing that fans want. And Dave Filoni has said in interviews that he needs to be thinking about what the story is about before he can start writing it, and that he hasn't had a chance to even think about what the next story is. Now, I don't know if I utterly and completely believe him, especially considering the history that he has of telling his audience one thing and then doing something else. You know, he just likes to have fun that way. So I imagine that, you know, He's got other stories to tell, and I'm sure that when an idea occurs to him, he doesn't go, nope, I'm too busy thinking about Rebels right now. I'm just going to throw that idea away, and if it's still good enough three years from now when I'm done with Rebels, then I'll come back to it. But in the meantime, it can just go sailing off into the ether. I won't even document it. Nope, I don't think Dave Filoni does that at all. I'm sure that he has some notes about what he wants to do next, and I wouldn't be surprised to find out that it's a lot further along than any of us suspect. For now, though, we have a slam-bang ending to Star Wars Rebels. We have a lot of new threads of stories that we could pursue between Hera and Jason Syndulla, between Ahsoka and Sabine, and even between Zeb and Agent Callus too. But there are many more avenues of storytelling to pursue thanks to the end of Rebels. So it isn't just an ending, it is a beginning as well. Many beginnings, really. I mean, if you think about it, all of those ideas could serve to be their own TV series just by themselves, their own series of novels, what have you. Who knows? Maybe Benioff and Weiss are going to start working on a Zeb Callis series of movies. Wouldn't that be something? But that is all something for another time. In the meantime, over the next couple of days, I will do the more detailed analyses of the individual halves of Family Reunion and Farewell. But check out the in-detail version of A Fool's Hope, the Rebels briefing for A Fool's Hope that dropped today. And the other two are coming tomorrow. And let's see what else we decide to talk about for Rebels for the rest of the week. But 
For now, we're going to call it a podcast. So thank you very much for listening to this bonus episode of the show recorded at the ridiculously early wee hours of the morning. (laughs) May the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you stow away on a Trade Federation landing craft, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And please support the podcast by joining us on Patreon at patreon.com SW7x7. It's not a short negotiation, it's Destiny Unleashed. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2018, Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.